Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel over-churched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Our reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9 through 17. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And do not complain, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing... Watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless Is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake in the one bread. Well, good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. I am the interim site pastor here at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. And I am so glad that you are here this morning. Will you pray with me? God, despite all evidence to the contrary, you are still at work in our lives. You have not given up on us, but you call us to bring hope and love and mercy and justice to others in this world. You call us out of silence and shame and isolation and call us into a community of love. And so we pray that we live into that more so each day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my name is Erin. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning as Urban Village Church continues to grow and expand and go through new times of learning. uh, It is you all who make up the church showing up each Sunday in this kind of cold auditorium uh, to participate in God's spirit here. So we remember Paul, who was weary and like a parent after a long day, of managing people and listening to complaints and putting out fires. Paul just wanted to drink a glass of wine and relax because he had just been listening to complaints all day long, mediating petty conflicts, putting out fires, distracting him from the things that really matter, which is sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with the community. Paul simply 
wanted to take a time for himself. So you see, Paul was road weary. Ever since the scales had fallen from his eyes, he had spent his conversion years traveling across this newfound land, spreading the good news of Jesus, and then sailing across the seas to continue spreading and planting churches. He would shake hands and kiss babies and post photos. He'd engage the base and then write letters, send representatives on his behalf. He was tilling the soil of people's hearts and then planting seeds and then growing stalks of leadership so that new church communities could grow and uh, flourish. And so in this post-death, now living in a resurrected world, Paul had planted the church in Corinthian, in Corinth, He had gone off thinking they were good. They were on their own and moved on to Ephesus where he continued to plant and share and grow new communities. But like an early morning annoying tweet, Paul heard from that community he had just left behind saying something maybe like this. (laughs) Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, some people have forgotten your instruction and given up on the at real Jesus Christ and now follow Uh, Apollos, the Hellenistic, oh, hashtag sad. (laughs) Paul, remembering his movement through the city streets and building relationships and creating consensus and his organizing of folks around the shared vision of God's goodness for the world, just sighed in exasperation. The people of Corinth were experiencing what normally happens in growing communities, growing pains. They were overcrowded, overopinionated, a bit directionless, kind of like a mega church arguing about doctrine and orthodoxy and praxis. The group had become in Corinth divided. And so staunchly were they divided about how best to offer grace and accountability that they had forgot the thing that kept them at the center, which was Jesus, the Christ, the Son, the Messiah, this bread of new life and cup of a covenant that brought them together. And so they wrote to Paul with a litany of questions of what about this? And what do we do about that? And what do we do about this guy? And so Paul, shaking his head, taking another sip of his glass of wine, responds, And he kind of plays Judge Judy a bit, cutting through the baloney of their argument and frankly reminding them of the thing that that unites them, namely this breaking of bread, this cup of a new covenant that promises that God is still at work among among us. So here at Urban Village Church Edgewater, we are one of four sites that stretch throughout the city all the way to Wicker Park, South Loop, and Hyde Park Woodlawn. And at all four sites, we're going through a sermon series called The Bible Doesn't Tell Me So. Uh, much like the song, The Bible, this, uh, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know for the Bible. Yeah, you got it. There are also things that we have been told that are actually not, oh yeah, snaps, you knew. Uh, <laughs> there are also things that we believe have been put in the Bible, but actually are not there. So quiz You ready? One of these pithy statements, but is not in the Bible that people often like to throw out and throw around is cleanliness is next to godliness. Is that in the Bible? No. Do you know who said it? Billy Graham? Good guess. Wait, what? Your mother? (laughs) Your mother learned it from United Methodist Church founder, John Wesley. 
We as a church are rooted in United Methodist heritage. And our founder believed that cleanliness was next to godliness because he grew up in Victorian era and liked methods and order. But really, it's not in the Bible because Jesus often welcomed people who were covered in crusted sores. Cleanliness was not next to godliness in Jesus's day. And so there are these sayings that have been thrown around and tossed out at points in our lives that have caused a lot of damage or harm or prevented people from coming closer to the Jesus who will heal and restore. And so we've been trying to go through some of these passages that often, some that are in the Bible that leave us scratching our heads and wondering, where is God in this? And so today in our passage, it says, God is faithful and God will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but the testing he will also provide you a way out so that you may be able to endure it. Some people like to succinct this down to say, God will not give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard that? God will not give you more than you can handle. God will provide a way out of the testing. And this passage plucked from 1 Corinthians spat out, usually at times of suffering and struggle, insinuates that God puts people in struggling and pain in order to build strength, that God takes delight in struggle and pain, and that God will provide a way out, a last minute break, a ram in the bush, but you have to be paying attention because miracles are slippy, slippery and you don't wanna miss out on your miracle. So the responsibility relies on those who are suffering. As Paul says, don't miss out on your, on, don't miss your opportunity or your suffering will endure. Those miracles are slippy, slippery suckers. Say that six times fast. You see, at best, this passage offers deep hope. In times when we feel we can't go on, there is nothing left, and we can only rely on God to carry us forward. But at its worst, this passage and the statements like it can be used to dismiss the suffering of others. Depending on God to provide relief rather than holding individuals or systems or structures accountable that cause suffering to others. So the statement, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, is actually not true. I don't know if it's true for you or not true for you because it's not true in my life. There are many times when I've sat alone in the night crying, God, I cannot handle this. I cannot move forward in this. Where are you, God? Come to my aid. I don't know where you were. If you're a young millennial, maybe you were like in utero when this happened. But in 2008, I didn't know where we were going forward or what was going to happen next. I had just graduated from college, couldn't find a job. Many of my friends, we were steeped in student debt and there was no way out to pay. And so we had to defer on all of these huge loans that we had been promised we could pay off at some point. My parents both had lost their jobs at the same time. The economy was crashing. People were taken out of their homes. And rather than my family getting a bailout, the big banks got a bailout. Prom we were promised that, that we would receive this bailout later on, trickled down to us later. But really, as time has gone on, 10 years later, I've only seen the difference between those who are rich and wealthy and those who are poor or struggling continue to grow ever wider and expansive. And so that year, 2009, after the bailout happened, executives to banks received bonuses. 
But what did we receive? Did God give us more than we could handle? While the Me Too movement is in the headlines, it appears that alleged sexual harassers against women and female-identified folks and gender and sexual minorities continue to harm people, and some days it feels like they will go unpunished, not just unpunished, but they will be celebrated and rewarded despite what is alleged against them. And sometimes that feels like God is giving me more than I can handle. Sometimes when mental illness takes over one's brain and health insurance hasn't kicked in or you've been kicked off of your health insurance and the healthcare system doesn't make finding a therapist or a psychiatrist in your network really easy, it's actually nearly impossible most of the time even when you're mentally well and it feels seemingly insurmountable problem when you're mentally unwell. And that can feel like more than you can handle. The trite statement that God quote-unquote, gives you, will never give you more than you can handle. Excuses God of the horrors of human existence when really God doesn't need an excuse. God can be held accountable. God can also hear our cries for justice. God can be brought up to speed to know about what's going on in your everyday life because we serve a God of power and might, a creator of the universe who cares about our complaints. So Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, rather than offering what some might pluck out as a trivial statement about faith, is actually reminding people, if we read just a little bit later, that suffering is real, but also that we are not to be seduced by cynicism. We are not to be rocked to sleep by loneliness. But instead, we look from verse 13 to also verse 14, when Paul says, no testing, has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. We'll read that again because that's a lot of double negatives being thrown out. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. Your pain, while it is unique to you, is not a sign that you are alone, but it is a reminder that God has gone with those before who have felt painful or have felt in pain. And so the key understanding comes in the next verse. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but, will, but with the testing, he will also provide a way out so that you will be able to endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Because idolatry is believing that you have to do it on your own. Idolatry or idolatrous belief is that only you can bear your pain and sorrow. That you can't burden others with your situation. And so we create idols of ourselves or idols of our situation or idols of what's going on in our life. And then we isolate ourselves and shame ourselves into keeping secrets and silence. And really, then the idol becomes the secret and the silence rather than being vulnerable and sharing of what we are struggling and suffering with. I don't know about you, but this week has been lots of distractions. It feels like 2018 is full of distractions all the time. But there's one story that was in the news this week that didn't receive as much play as I thought it should. And so, because I'm a preacher and have a platform, I get to share that story with you. If you were like me and couldn't pull your eyes and ears away from 
your phone and all the things going on in the news and media, maybe you didn't hear this story about accused sexual harassment. But in our city of Chicago and in nine other cities across the United States, McDonald's workers stepped out and walked out of their jobs. They feared uh, that they would lose their jobs by walking out, but they also did so with tape stamped across their uh, mouths saying, hashtag me too. In order to tell uh, uh, people in authority working for McDonald's corporate that they were enduring rampant sexual assault and sexual harassment in their workplace, that while McDonald's corporate oversees all of these franchisees and controls how clean they are, controls how they do their scheduling, they had not found the time or the resources to invest in sexual harassment cases and also sexual harassment trainings in order to prevent sexual harassment from happening in their stores. And so, Mostly female-identified folks and gender and sexual minority folks walked out on the job, fearing that they could lose their job, this job that barely pays the bills for them, to say, you will hear about our pain. You will bear witness and know that we are suffering. And we will hold you into account. And so fast food workers, instead of remaining hidden behind fryers and walk-in freezers, took to the streets to demand change, and they told their stories. First, they told their stories to each other to say, this happened to me. This is embarrassing. I didn't want it to happen. I didn't ask for it to happen. And I don't know what to do because I need this job in order to move forward in my life. And as they told each other their stories and recognized their stories with one another, they then said, we can make our stories much louder. We can share it with the world. And while it may be embarrassing, we will not be shamed into silence because it is not our fault that this has happened to us. And so we share with the world rather than living in secret. They would not be ashamed by the attacks they experienced, but demand that the rest of us, you and me, the people at McDonald's corporate, the people covering it on the news, become involved by acknowledging and seeking change. Workers could have remained silent. They could have avoided eye contact with one another, filled with shame over their pain that was inflicted upon them. But instead, with those golden arches across their eyebrows, they attested to their pain and they told us about it. This is what the church does as well. This is how we can look to these workers as encouragement for us, that it is not us isolating ourselves in pain, but opening up and being vulnerable with it. Because it feels really good to take care of someone else in pain, but it does not feel very good to share our pain with others, especially in the truth when it hurts really bad. But that also builds an idol of what it means to be a good caregiver, what it means to be a good Christian is sharing and loving for others, but never sharing and receiving love for myself. And so we trust that when we cry out to our God, we also cry out to our community saying, be a witness to my pain. Share in it with me. Carry this burden with me because I don't know if I can handle it on my own. And what the Christian community does is it comes alongside each other and says, yes, you too are welcome here. Your pain and your suffering don't keep you from the table of God, but you are welcome here because of who you are. And that suffering does not define you or limit you, but you are welcome to participate in this meal that can transform us. This is the bread of Jesus that was broken for us, just like the world is broken.
And this is the cup of a new covenant reminding us God's not done. The world is forever changed. And you are here with us. You are a part of us. You are ours and we are yours. Will you pray with me? God, it takes great courage to come out and tell and share when we are struggling. When it seems like our world and our lives won't fit together. When it seems like the world is working against us rather than for us. It takes great courage not to see that as a stamp of failure on our foreheads, but that you, God, are working in our lives still. It takes courage to demand that we be heard and seen and provided with care. And so, God, we pray that this place would be a brave space where people feel comfortable sharing of their pains and their concerns and also their joys so that we, God, can be a community that holds each other, cares for one another in authenticity, but also, God, that we can be a community that comes around each other sharing a meal, praying for one another, and offering a new way forward. And so we offer ourselves up to you. May we truly be a community that doesn't live in BS, but lives out your truth and love and mercy and justice for this whole world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.